Whenever a person tells a story, they have to decide where to begin. So for example, many of you know that my first year after uh, graduating from University of Washington, I taught English in China. So when people first hear that, they will often ask me, what prompted that? Why'd you go to China to teach English? So I have to decide where to begin. I could go for the short version and just say, oh, I found out about the possibility and I thought, why not? Or I could go for a bit of a longer version and talk about how reading the letters from my brother Steve that he wrote from Sierra Leone when he was in the Peace Corps got my, my mind going and this idea of doing something similar overseas myself um, because his letters were so great. Or I could go for the self-revealing answer that admits to two character weaknesses of mine. Um, I'd start by telling of meeting this group of really cool people who were camp counselors with me the summer before my senior year at UW. There were several who really stuck out as really cool people. Uh, and one of the similar things that they had in common was that they'd all had some sort of major overseas experience. So I thought to myself, man, I really want to be like them and cool like them. So maybe I should do something like that. Which then leads me to the most embarrassing part of this story. Uh, at the end of that summer, I went to my college pastor about my idea. I knew he was familiar with lots of overseas organizations and uh, possibilities for serving the Lord overseas. And I told him my idea of how I uh, wanted to do this for a year or two. Except I did not mention China uh, as a potential site. No, I said, I was thinking about some place in like southern France, Italy, Greece. I literally said this. Uh, Mediterranean. And to his credit, he didn't laugh at me. Uh, he just said, what about China? And that was really uh, just something clicked. I was like, sure. And so took it from there. And a year later, I ended up in China. So each of these starting points ends with me in China teaching English. But they each reveal more or less and have a different emphasis. The author of our text uh, for this morning, Luke, faced a similar decision to where to begin his story about this man named Jesus from Nazareth, who people were saying was God's anointed one, the Christ. Lots of biographies of significant persons will start with the birth itself. But Luke wants to convey the enormous significance of this one man. Luke needs to set the story of Jesus within the context of a much, much larger story. A story that began centuries before and incorporates the entire cosmos in its impact. So Luke begins his story 
in a way that reveals both that Jesus is the center of the story of God and our world, and that each one of us is a part of this grand story. The opening verse of our text embeds us immediately within a specific time, place, culture, but also links to a rich and broad history. We hear in verse 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. We are in the time of the Roman Empire. Judea is an eastern outpost of this empire. Herod was king of this region only by permission from the emperor. Then we hear of this priest, Zechariah, part of a division of priests under Abijah. And then with the further reference to his wife Elizabeth as also a descendant of Aaron, we know that we are in the late stages of the Jewish religion as it was based around the temple in Jerusalem. So all of this connects the story Luke is telling with the entire heritage of God's dealings with the covenant people Israel. People uh, to the covenant people as told within the numerous pages and stories and history of the Hebrew First Testament. Just a little further on, we hear uh, some more details of Zechariah's work as a priest in the temple where he, let's see, verse 8, his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of the incense came, all the others assembled worshipers were praying outside. So this, just this brief sketch, brings into the picture of the story that Luke is telling the whole religious system of how Israel related to God. The system that was established by Moses and Aaron, David and Solomon and all of the prophets. William Barclay gives us uh, even more historical detail on this system uh, that is context for our story. He writes that every direct descendant of Aaron, male descendant, was automatically a priest. That meant that for all elementary purposes, there were far too many priests. There were therefore, they were divided into 24 sections. Only at Passover and Pentecost and Feast of the Tabernacles, only then did all the priests serve. For the rest of the year, each served one week, twice a year. There were as many as 20,000 priests altogether. And so they were not far short of a thousand in each section. So within the sections, all the duties were allocated by lot, by chance. Every morning and evening, sacrifice was made for the whole nation. A burnt offering of a male lamb, one year old without spot or blemish, was offered, together with an offering of flour and oil and a drink offering of wine. 
Before the morning sacrifice and after the evening sacrifice, incense was burned on the altar of incense, so that, as it were, the sacrifices might go up to God wrapped in an envelope of sweet-smelling incense. So within this handful of opening verses, Luke has embedded this story he is telling within the story of God, as told within the Hebrew scriptures, which includes the creation of the entire universe, God's historical interactions with the covenant people, all of the priests and the prophets and the promises that went with the whole system created. Luke has also linked this story to the story of the world outside of the covenant people through its relationship with the Roman Empire. So Luke begins the story of Jesus by setting it within a story of essentially everything that has happened up to that point. At the same time, he tells us this story of an elderly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah, who a priest who belonged to the division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Even though Luke's story is as big as the world and all history, it's also as intimate as the story of these two dear people in the latter years of their marriage. From these opening descriptions of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it seems that their story is coming to a close. Luke makes certain that we know that Zechariah and Elizabeth had never been able to have children. In our society today, we've tried very hard to de-emphasize children as essential to a full marriage. But for couples in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was very little else for a couple. In fact, Elizabeth even calls it her disgrace in verse 25 that she wasn't able to bear children. So Zechariah and Elizabeth seemingly have no future. And yet, God works with this couple to give not only them a future, but to continue God's story. The angel comes and says, you will, Sarah will, I mean, uh, well, come back to that story. Uh, Elizabeth will, will have a child. And he laughs and says, what? I'm, I'm too old. He gets in trouble for that. Remember in the Sarah and Abraham story, Abraham laughs, but he doesn't get in trouble. But for, for whatever reason, Zechariah, basically, I saw one commenter put it, commentator put it, um, basically the angel was saying, okay, you just need to be quiet for a while and watch God work. So that's what happens is this, this angel from God gives Zechariah and Elizabeth a future, 
But he also mentions that many others in Israel will rejoice because of the son that they have. And so in a very tender moment at the very end of this chapter of the story, we hear Elizabeth saying, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, God has shown God's favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Luke begins his story with of his story of Jesus with this loving couple, as well as with the grand story of God. <clears throat> and all of this happens before we even hear a mention of Jesus. As radical as Jesus will be for our understanding of God and ourselves and the world and the future, Luke reveals two important truths by starting the story of Jesus in the way that he did. One is that Jesus doesn't begin a whole new story. Jesus continues the grand story of God and the world in a radical new way. Our New Testament reading picks up on that idea as well, and that's I liked the message translations about the old plan and the new plan, but you'll notice that the old plan was only a hint of the good things in the new plan, but it was a hint. It was part of God's work, both the old and the new. It couldn't complete the, the salvation and the restoration of the relationship, but it prepared for the entirely new thing, which would be done God's way, by which we were made we are made fit for God by the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. So that whole system, sacrificial system, was to give us understanding of what was to come and how it would impact the fullness of our lives. But it's all a part of one story, the story of God and God dealing with the world. Jesus fulfills all that the law and the prophets hinted at, but they did hint at his story. Luke also reveals the grand story, that the grand story includes the stories of each and every one of us. The story of Jesus includes the story of this dear older couple who seemed to have no future. And their story echoes many other intimate stories going back to the one that we read from our Hebrew First Testament reading of, at the time, Sarai and Abram, who were old and without children also, and God came and said, I'm going to make Sarah, uh, I'm gonna, going to conceive a child, or you will conceive a child with her. She will give birth, and, and that child, Isaac, will be the beginning of generations of your offspring. Throughout the scriptures, God makes life-affirming promises to individuals, to the whole covenant people, even to creation. And at various times along the way, those promised futures look doubtful, even impossible. But over and over, God comes through. 
Luke begins his story of Jesus by connecting it to this ongoing story that ultimately ends up with the reign of God over the entire cosmos, the future that is promised. What I love about the truth that Luke reveals is that God creates this hope out of the reality of our broken, seemingly at times hopeless lives. It is not a case of out with the old, but out of the old. God doesn't scrap everything and start over completely. God works with who we are and what we are to recreate life from the stuff of our present lives. I find this message tremendously encouraging for us as a congregation. It is a strange moment that we find ourselves. I mean, this church has a history over a hundred years old. In the time that I've been here, the entire time that I've been here, it's been a fairly small congregation, and then COVID hit. And we couldn't even gather in person for over a year. And now here we are, still in a kind of limbo, uncertain as to when, if ever, we will all gather again in person. We are trying to understand then what does all this mean for us as a congregation? And it's not just us, even huge churches are unsure of their future as a congregation and what that means and what it looks like. And yet, as Luke reminds us, by beginning the story of Jesus with the story of Israel and the Hebrew First Testament, we always have hope. We as a congregation are a part of God's grand story. And with God, it is never out with the old, but out of the old new life. And this is not true only for us as a congregation. It's also true for us in our individual lives. I don't know where everyone is at this particular uh, time in their lives, this particular morning, but I imagine that at least some of us are at a place in our lives where we are wondering whether broadly or about something specific, are we going to make it? Will this work? Is there any hope? And again, Luke reminds us by beginning the story of Jesus with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that we always have hope. We are, each of us, a part of God's grand story. And with God, it is never out with the old. It is out of the old new life. Thanks be to God.